returning this morning to the prophecy of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Now I want you to take your time in turning back from Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah. And I want you to open the word at chapter 1, please. And at the verse 14. When you've got your place and you're settled, keep your Bible open. Because I'm sure that God has something to say to us this morning from this very neglected prophet. If ever there was a prophet or a prophecy that describes and depicts and declares the dark, evil, wicked, momentous days in which we live in, it has to be the prophet Zephaniah. He was the last of the minor prophets to the nation of Judah, just before they went into the Babylonish Captivity. Nineteen times in the three chapters, he uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, or Yahweh. And the Lord is at all the times in capital letters. Now, always in the scripture, The day of the Lord is associated with the future pending wrath of God that's about to be poured out before and during the tribulation period. The times that the Lord Jesus told about would be contraction pains like child-bearing pains. And they'll get worse and worse, as a woman knows, before deliverance, the beginning of sorrows. And they are getting worse. There's not a day or hardly an hour, but prophetic scriptures are not being fulfilled. Nation rising against nation. Turkey and Greece are at it again over Cyprus. China and America over trade. Palestine and Israel over land. India and Pakistan over Kashmir. Russia and Germany over the poisoning of that man. And on it goes. And it's getting worse. Nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdoms, 
cities across America on fire this morning with hatred. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes, recession, iniquity, abounding in the love of many, waxing cold. Things are not good. And they're getting worse. Watch Zephaniah here 633 years before the Lord was born. Look what he prophesied in chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, let me say this. Get your eyes on verse 14. Now, bring your Bibles with you and keep them open in these meetings because we need to teach the Scriptures. Let me say this, Zephaniah's name means to be hidden in God. And I, I'm glad that I'm saved this morning. I'm glad that my life is hid with Christ in God, and so should you, believer, this morning. I'm glad to say this morning that I'm under the wings, and under his wings do I trust in this terrible day. Now look what he says, the great day of the Lord... Or the great day of wrath in verse 15. Let me say this too. There are four kinds of wrath. There's consequential wrath. Wrath that we bring on ourselves by our consequences. Remember King Uzziah went into the holy place and started to tinker with the things that he had no right, and God struck him. That's consequential wrath. He, he was stricken with leprosy because that's the consequences of what he did. And then there's, there's abandoning wrath. In Romans 1, we read about the Sodomites. God gives them up and gives them over. The wrath of God was revealed in heaven. And of course that abandoning wrath comes to Calvary because there when our Lord cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God abandoned him in his wrath for our sins. And then there's eternal wrath. And if you're not saved this morning in this meeting, take heed. For sinners that reject Christ are vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, eternal destruction. And then there's eschatological wrath, and that's what we're dealing with this morning. Eschatology just means the end times. Now look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Is near. See that? It's hasty. And if you cast your eyes on the end, last verse, verse 18, it's speedy. There's an urgency about this man here. There's a certainty. He, 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 the Holy Spirit, is, it's near, it's near, it's speedy, it's coming. And look at, look, at, look at the consequences of that at the end of the verse 14. 
the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That's taken us to Revelation 6. When the kings of the earth, we're talking about the tribulation period now. When the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and the bondsmen and every free man will hide themselves in the den of the rocks for fear of the wrath of the Lamb. Look at all the names he uses in verse 15. Day of wrath, day of trouble, day of distress, day of desolation, day of darkness, day of gloominess. Boy, if we're not saved this morning, you haven't much to look forward to. Oh, sinner, you have nothing, only this to look forward to. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Every time I turn on the news, I'm glad I'm saved. Glad I'm saved. Tell me, are you really saved this morning? If I were to ask you this morning, are you really genuinely born again and saved? What would you tell me? Would you just be going back to a wee date sometime or some day, a wee back somewhere where you made a wee prayer? And that was all. And that's all you're depending God help you. Because if you're saved this morning, you would want to know it and others would need to know it. And show it. I wonder, I wonder will you be one of those in this period we're talking about crying and roaring to the right lamb at the wrong time. See, they cried unto the lamb, unto the wrath of the lamb. I hope that you don't cry unto the right lamb at the wrong time when it's too late. You need to cry unto him now. Behold the lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. Now I'm taking this first morning back in since March here to go round the foundations and to examine thoroughly our hearts and see where we really are this morning in these last days in the presence of God. And Zephaniah outlines a number of ways which we know and we are sure that we're God's children. We know and sure, and you will be from the verse that I'm going to show you in a moment, that God has laid on my heart, never preached to this before. And we're going to be sure this morning that you're saved or not saved, and that you're living for God. Turn to chapter 3, if you have to turn the Bible to chapter 3 and verse 9. Because there's three of them here in verse 9. There's three things here in verse 9 
that shows us very powerfully whether we're really children of God and walking with the Lord or not. Now you just take your time this morning. Was this wee verse, this powerful verse, when I'm praying all week that it speaks to our hearts or to speak to mine, He's speaking about the remnant here that are left. Look at what he says in verse 9. For then will I turn to the people, and the the rendering should be of a pure language. People of a pure language. That's to do with our conversation. That's to do with our lip our mouth, our tongue. Do you remember Peter, what Peter says regarding these last days? Peter says, seeing that all these things and everything around us is going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be as the day approaches? So we're going to start with conversation this morning. Because it's out of our heart that the mouth speaks. I'm sure you're like me. There are many times when you've said to God, Oh Lord, I should not have opened my mouth. Maybe you had to say that during the week. And maybe you need to say it. Oh, if only I would have held my tongue. Do you know what Job prayed? He said, Lord, teach me that I may hold my tongue. Oh, the deadly tongue. It's hard to hold it. And let me tell you, you can't tame it. Well, that's what the Bible says. No man can tame it. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. If we were as concerned about our tongue as the virus, full of deadly poison. They can put a bit in the horse's mouth and tame him, James says. They can get the parrot to sing and talk to you. There's a boy in Belfast and he walks about with a lion on him, on a lead round the town. I'm glad that he has the teeth out of him. And tame the fox. But no man can tame the tongue. And if we're really born again, men and women filled with the Holy Ghost and walking with God, our conversation will be right. If we have clean hands and a pure heart and a sanctified tongue, then we're promised blessing from God. Your tongue, if you're filled with the Spirit, 
And walking with God will not be a talebearer's tongue. And it will not be a whisper or a slander's or a backbiter's tongue. And they're all of the one family. And they're all from the Word of God. If any man bridleth not his tongue, James says, he deceiveth his own heart and his religion is in vain. His worship is in vain. And if you're here this morning, or I'm here this morning, coming round this table, or even sitting amongst God's people, and we've been castigating and criticizing, and our tongue has been loose all week, let me tell you this, it's all in vain. It's of no value. That's what the Bible says. See, the tongue, my friend, can do terrible harm. It can destroy so many things. Jesus said that every idle word that man speaks, he'll give an account on the day of judgment. There are more pillows wet with sobs, more hearts and homes and marriages and churches broken because of the tongue. Just an old Justin of the first century said, the most ferocious monster in the world has his den behind her teeth. Is that not a good place to start for you and me this morning as we go back into this new day? Is that not the place to start to examine our tongues, our mouth, our lips and what we say? There's something coming to your mind now about last week. Well made. Well, mate, because nothing will hinder the blessing more than wagging tongues. Whether it's about the way we run these services, whether it's about the elders or the deacons or anything else, you shut up. You shut up. If there's anything to do. I came across this poem the other day. Only a word of anger. But it wounded one sensitive heart. Only a word of sharp reproach. But it made the teardrops start. Only a hasty thoughtless word. Sarcastic and unkind but it darkened the day before so bright and left a sting behind. So we see the conversation in verse 9. Look at it again. For then will I turn to the people of pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord. That's supplication.
You see, there's no use, my friend, in getting down before the Lord. And I'm saying this from my heart this morning, getting down before the Lord in the home or in the church. If we're backbiting and whispering and slandering and tail-bearing because it's iniquitous. And God says if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. This man's talking about the last days. It's near, it's near, it's near, he says. So you guard your tongue, your conversation, and your supplication. Do you remember Jesus told us that these days would be days likened unto Noah? And we saw when we studied the days of Noah that there's a remnant who cried unto God. In fact, the very same phrase is used here that they, may, that they call upon the name of the Lord. And God raised up Seth and his son and Enoch and Noah. And then began men to call on the name of Jehovah. And they stood valiantly in the midst of it. And they stayed and they prolonged the wrath of God. And Noah and his family were delivered. And if he could have found ten men, God would have delivered Sodom. But he couldn't find ten. Now these three prayer meetings that we're having, they're meetings for supplication and intercession. And I thank God for them, for I enjoyed every, and enjoy every one of them. And I thank God for the godly men that are heading them up and all that come. But let me say this. This, is, this now is what we're going to be doing all winter. Remember this. We'll be interceding. Because it's too late for anything else. But let me say this, if we're not walking with God like Enoch or standing for God like Noah or crying to God like Seth, then we'll not be comfortable in these prayer meetings. You'll not be comfortable in the prayer meeting because they're spirit-filled meetings. This is a desperate hour. And it demands desperate prayer. And it demands men and women sold out to God. And this kind of prayer, you either love it or loathe it, love it or leave it. This is the hour of Jacob's prayer. We'll not let go until he blesses. This is the hour of Moses' prayer. Blot me out if you don't move. This is the hour of Samson's prayer. One more time, Lord. This is the, this is the time of Isaiah's prayer. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Then the blessing came. 
Listen, friends, and I say this from a heavy heart this morning, if we don't rally now, the whole future for spiritual survival is at stake. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I didn't choose this word this morning. Members of the Scottish Parliament have proposed legislation to ban the Bible. It's common before Parliament in Scotland. Because it's a hate book with inflammatory misogyny material that's not fit for the day and the penalty they're recommending is seven years in jail if you're caught with it. The Bible. The land of the Covenanters and the Puritans. The land of Knox and Burns, McShane and Livingstone and Bonner and Rutherford and a host more. I just pray. I just pray when I come to the judgment seat of Christ that I'm not next in line to some of these covenanters and martyrs of Scotland. I pray that I'm not standing beside any of the Perth, the five men from Perth, and the one woman, five, four men and one woman, four men burnt at the stake and beheaded, and one woman, Helen Spark, carrying an infant child in her arms, put into a bag and flung into the sea because they stood for the word. I pray that I'm not next to the Wigtown martyrs, Margaret Wilson and Margaret McLaughlin, two 18-year-old girls, farmers' daughters, who stood against the authorities when they started to mix the state and the church and the state began to run the church. I wonder what they would say today. I wonder what they would say this morning when the state started to interfere with the church. They staked them out in the Solway Forth. Mary McLaughlin put out first. Strapped them and staked them waiting for the tide to come in. Because they wouldn't show allegiance to the king. No, they says, we'll not. We'll die 18 years of age. And when the water was up to the waist, the soldiers came down and unstrapped them and dipped them down under it and said, recant. They said, no. They done it again. No. The water swept over them. I had a mission. Spoke at a mission in Wigtown Town Hall and the years ago. 
And I went to the old church graveyard. And I got down on my knees and I rubbed the moss of the headstone of the Wigtown martyrs. And well may the banners carry them as they march through the streets. The Wigtown martyrs. This is the land of Scotland. That's the day we're living in. Let me say this. In 40 or 50 years' time, when these young people are older and old, they might well turn to their father and their mother and they might say to their father and their mother, what did you do when the battle for the book was on? Why has all this befallen us now? Why are the Muslims running the country, the communists and the atheists? Why is the Bible taken away from our land? Why are we not allowed? Because let me tell you, Scotland first, Northern Ireland next. Is this not what the devil's heading at when he's trying to keep the children out of Sunday school and stop us from singing and stop us from praying? Don't you think that you can understand the demon devil power and subtlety? There's come the day when people need to stand and they'll say to the older people and they'll say, we have no Bible, we have no church, we have no nothing. What did you do on prayer meeting night? What did you do, Daddy? What did you do, Mommy? When the preacher called you, that this day was coming. When the preacher was before God and he got up, as I am here this morning, to tell you it's coming. And unless we have a Holy Ghost, heaven sent revival, forget it. Preach in the open air and pop the tracks and nail them to the trees and do all that you like. And good and all that it says is not working. not working. We're past it. But we're not past what we're doing on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night. We're not past. This, my friend, I have never, and I'm studying revival for 40 years, I have never, never, never heard of a move of the Spirit where there wasn't intercession, fasting. In fact, I never read of a move of the Spirit where those things, far, as, as far as our tongues concerned, and Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost praying together. And what I'm going to show you is a close. My dear friends, this is the only hope. The slide is on. And we're calling out men and women filled with the Holy Ghost. Men and women who take a stand for God. 
And I believe that I have been called for this moment. And this place has been put here for this moment. For I am not interested, my friends, in playing games and running meetings. And if I can get another prayer meeting going, I'll get it going. If I can get prayer meetings like this and sustain them, but you make sure and remember this, that it'll be fought all the way. It'll be fought all the way. The battle for the book. When they say to you, what did you do, Daddy? What did you do, Mommy? Where were you on the prayer meeting night? Making money? Watching television? At the gym? What what will they say when they're stamping the mark of the beast upon them? And furthermore, what will they say when they're going into a burning hell? Daddy, did you pray for me, Mommy? Did you pray for me? Did you take it serious? Did you weep and cry and howl in the prayer meetings? I'm in the flames. The fire's on me, I'll never get out. What did you do, Mommy? What did you do, Daddy? I didn't bother going. God help us. Never in the history of revival, in the history of the church, as revival came with our desperate prayer, fasting, and weeping, and we're going to go back to a day of fasting a month in this assembly. We used to, for years, stay after the table and stay the evening in the old portable hall here, full of it, men and women. Forsook their dinner and their tea and cried to God to the evening meeting, and we seen the God move. I'm going back to that again. Just wait, watch the space. We're going to take this thing serious. Ah, but there's something else here. I'm going to close now. There's plenty more. Look at verse, that verse 9 again. I turn to the people of a pure language, that's conversation, that they may call upon the name of the Lord, that's supplication, to serve him with one consent, that's unification. And if you have a marginal reference, it says shoulder. As shoulder to shoulder. Did you ever see this verse before? But I can tell you we have all the ingredients here for God's Spirit to move. Conversation. Supplication. Unification. Standing shoulder to shoulder united. And that's the secret. That's where God will command the blessing. That's what God has promised. 
where the brethren dwell together in unity. Now the shoulder, and we haven't time to go into this, our time's gone, we haven't time to go into this, and thank you for keeping and your children, we understand that, but we haven't time to go into this, but the shoulder speaks of strength and unity. And if we can keep united, remember what I said years ago about the, about the, about the, about the wolf and the sheep? He'll circle round and round and round. If they get in close and get together, they're all right. They'll be able to survive. But if he get one out, he'll put them, tire them till he gets one, one wee one out. And we need to stand together. And we need to not be criticizing one another. We need not to be talking about one another. We need to stand together in these days, shoulder to shoulder. For that's where the unity and that's where the strength is. And 120 in the upper room, 10 days were in unity. Peter and John went up together into the temple, unity. Gideon said every man stood in his place. There's strength. Strength in unity. Elisha sent the sons of the prophets out to build the house and every man carried a beam. Oh, my friend, take the beam this morning. Take the burden this morning. Take the burden of the children. Take the burden of the sinners. Take the burden of the backslider. Take the burden this morning upon our shoulders and stand strong and stand together this morning and God will bless he has promised to bless us and it will not be long and what see this as a close and I'm, I'm not going to say anything look at verse verse 13 the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies be found in the mouth look at verse 14 sing O daughter of Zion shout O Israel and be glad the jubilation and if you study the rest of this, now we, we don't know when we'll take this up again. We might take it up soon. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, verse 17 says, he will, eight times he promises, he will save, he will rejoice, he will gather the sorrowful, he will undo affliction, he will save her that held, he will gather those that, that he has driven out. He, the mighty Savior, has promised. Oh, what lovely verses of jubilation, praise and thanksgiving. Once we get the first part, we are guaranteed from God the second part. It'll come. It'll come. We'll be shouting for joy and praising the Lord. I'm glad that we listen to the word of the living God.